Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 389. My feet are tired because I went to a place that I almost didn't come back from today. Uh, Skydart and I are in Toronto, and we found the Pacific Mall in Markham. Is it Markham or Markham? <laughs> I like Markham better. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, That's if you're. Uh, that's when uh, Mark Hamill's in your entourage. <laughs> then you anything can go, Yo, Mark Ham. Anything with the word ham in it makes me. What about John Ham? <laughs> the extra M's for it extra. Me, it makes me laugh and get wet. <laughs> what the fuck? Wait, what? What? Are you serious what? right now? What? 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 <laughs> Oh man! Uh, Why does it have to be someone I'm friends with? Why can't it be? It's John Hamm. It makes he makes fucking men wet. It's it's come on. Okay, I will admit that my moisture levels are slightly increased, and there's a high pressure system bringing in some it's, precipitation up in the southern regions. However, it should be someone like that pa- you could. It should be someone thing. that it should be someone that we wouldn't it's hang out with. It's in our DNA. When we're, when you hear the words John Ham, it just it just happens. You have ham DNA. I have, you have ham, ham. <laughs> ham DNA. See it fucking works every time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. All right. Go anyway, we finish your to, intro. We went to the Pacific. Thanks. <laughs> we went to the Pacific <laughs> Mall today in Markham. <laughs> And uh, it is an Asian mall that is a place that you never want to leave when you go in. It has everything. It's just, it's just filled with kiosks. I bought uh, I bought Lego Batman DC Super Heroes 2, and I think I bought it in French. So <laughs> it's like, it's going to be like the, like the older Lego games where they mumble, and it's not going to make any sense to me. I need a French class, stat! Uh, so I highly recommend the Pacific Mall. We got a lot of... Good and green tea Kit Kats and jeans. Milk candy. Oh, so great. So great. Uh, if you're in Canada, you should go there and, uh, and and enjoy yourself. I would like to thank for sponsoring this episode uh, of the Nerdist Podcast. Comedy Central Stand Up Direct. This, I am way behind this, especially because I happen to be on it. Uh, Mandroid is now available on CC Stand Up Direct for five bucks. It can be yours with unlimited downloads, streams on any device. Check it out. The website website's direct.cc.com. And right now there's 22 other fantastic specials uh, that will hopefully not eat into your podcast listening time. But I would understand if they did. Todd Berry specials on there. Owen Benjamin, Matt Bronger, Hannibal Burris, Bo Burnham, uh, me, Pete Holmes, Jeselnik, Kinane, Joe Coy, Kroll, Al Madrigal, Dimitri, TJ, Merman, uh, John Mulaney, Kumail, Jeff Ross, I'm just going to read them all, because they're all fantastic. Uh, Jeff Ross, Kristen Shaw, J.B. Smoove, Nick Swardson, Paula Tompkins, uh, and, and Tosh. So that is right now at direct.cc.com. And uh, thank you so much to Comedy Central, not only for putting it up there, thanks for giving me a show, but how about we start there? Uh, but then also thanks for putting this special up on uh, Comedy Central Stand Up Direct for five bucks. This episode is Ken Levine, who is... Uh, one of the co-founders and the creative director of Irrational Games. Irrational is responsible for Bioshock. Uh, Chloe and I played the shit out of Bioshock Infinite. It's one of my favorite games of all time now. And um, th- this is actually very timely because there are some there's some DLC. So if you have the season pass, there's some DLC that's available. Uh, Clash in the Clouds, which looks to me, just from the YouTube video that I saw, looks basically like um, like a combat mode. 
and then also Burial at Sea, which seems to take place... Uh, it seems to be Rapture related, so if you're a fan of Bioshock, those happen to come out today. Uh, so this is the perfect time to release the Ken Levine podcast, who was fantastic, by the way. Uh, there are tons of spoilers in here for Bioshock Infinite, because we grill him on all the stuff we wanted to know. And if you have the guy who's a creative director, you're going to pin him down and ask these questions. Uh, we pinned him down gently. We just said John Hamm, and then he went limp, and then we just asked him a bunch of questions. Uh, and then also, Ken is uh, is writing uh, Logan's Run. They're doing another Logan's Run, and he is writing it uh, because uh, he does not have any problem whatsoever with good story because uh, the Bioshock series is freaking phenomenal and uh, and he's also a huge sci-fi geek so this was a blast uh, and uh, you can follow Ken on Twitter at IG Levine, that would be Irrational Games Levine uh, and here you go Nerds Podcast number 389 with Ken Levine good talk, we had a very good talk Now entering Nerdist.com Um, Ken Levine has joined us in the, I don't know what to call this, Cloud City? I, I mean, we've... <laughs> it's, it's, oh, it's, man, it's, come it's on. Best Did you just best reference Bioshock? What? Did you just reference Bioshock? I was referencing uh, Empire. Empire. Oh, em- Empire oh. Strikes Back. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. My bad. Yeah, no worries. Because <laughs> um, we... Uh, that's the gray hair in the room. Like, oh, what do you mean? Bye. No, it's best it's... bit. It's best bit. <laughs> so what do you mean? <laughs> you old pirate. What do you mean? <laughs> Uh, we just shot a video with him for to um, to promote our lightsaber relay run. We recreated the cantina and had this guy who made all these creatures for our Volkswagen commercial let us use like 18 of his cantina creatures. And we had Billy D. Williams singing. Like we right. basically created what was like, hey, what if it were karaoke night at Mos Eisley? And so we had him singing and all the creatures. Guess, and it was. Guess who he played? I had to play Han. Oh. He's had to. You were forced. I I tried to get Nathan Fillion to do it. I was like, he'd be a much better Han Solo. And it was literally only one that didn't have. I was gonna. I would have just been in the background. I didn't give a shit. I don't know what part to feel bad about. I said, well, I tried to get Nathan Fillion to play, but I guess I had. To. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm so tired of taking Nathan's parts. <laughs> just again and again. Okay, Fillion, I will take another part for you. Well, you're mistaken for him all the time. Too, right? I mean, it's it's, really it's, embarrassing it's constant. Now. Yeah, it's constant. People, I'm like, no, not Castle. I'm not Castle. <laughs> Um, but it's really great to have you here. Can we had a we had a conversation right after I started playing Infinite, which I gotta say was um, it's fucking unreal. That game is unreal, and I'm sure it's gonna win all the awards. Um, and then when we talked, by the way, I will tell people that there will be spoilers in this podcast because you know we're gonna talk about stuff. It's been two months. Get over it. It's been- <laughs> That's it. See, money. You should take that quote and put it on the front of the box for Bioshock it's Infinite. Been months, it's been two months. Get over it, Ken Levine. <laughs> if I if I tweet anything still, if I tweet anything remotely spoiler, like even my followers, like what? How did you spoil the game? I'm like, yeah. you're my follower. If you're not going to buy the game by now, you're probably not going to buy it. I had no idea the chicken lady played Bioshock Infinite, which was the voice you just did. <laughs> Why did you play that? How could you say? But you told me when I was talking to you, I was about. Ha- I was actually. Just about to enter Comstock House, mm-hmm. and you said, yeah. "Okay, look, you're either gonna fucking hate my guts for the ending, or you're gonna love it." 
And I How many people hated it? Are there people who hated the ending? I think there are people who who I think there were some people who were Oh, devastated by like the the of what happened, not mad at you. No, I know. I think there were people who thought who didn't. They were frustrated that they didn't like get like it wasn't fully unclear right. to them, and they didn't like the fact that there was sort of a bit of opacity there. Mm-hmm. And so I think there were some people who were really like, no, I don't get this. But you know what's so great about it is that that is essentially like theoretical physics. It's just trying to wrap your mind around like Schrodinger's cat stuff. Like, oh, is it? Okay, so there's all these different parallel things, and when they're observed, then this reality can happen and this reality, but it was just the idea of – and then what I loved about it is that it it just totally brought the title, and you're like, oh, got it. <laughs> like to me, to me, it just wrapped everything up in a nice, in a nice little bow. Well, I mean this is the thing about quantum mechanics is live, as little as I understand of it, every time I try to understand it, your brain just wants to say like, no, no don't, don't – it's okay, Ken, don't. Don't try to figure this out, pretty boy. It's because like, people call me pretty boy. Of course, yeah. Well, um, like I'm Fillion. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we have this problem. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it, everyone! Please, <laughs> please, just let us be alone with our looks. Our I'm just swooning. I can't yeah. stop swooning right oh, now. I think it's because there's no air in oh, here. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, it, it is. It's one of those things. You start. Like, we had a we had a um, a physicist come in from MIT just as a consultant, and I. She'd start to talk, and it is just one of those things that your brain really is just not real, not under, not designed to understand. I think a lot of theoretical physicists don't understand. Don't understand. No. They're like, well, it's our – I mean, because there's no. Um, I remember the, the first time I tried to read a book on when they were searching for the Higgs boson in like '91. It was this book dates back to '91. It took me forever to read the book because every time you 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 have nothing. I had nothing to relate it to. It is so foreign of a concept to what we experience. That I kept having to stop and be like, okay, what can I compare this to? I have nothing to anchor this to to try to go, oh, this is what it is. I think actually the best explanation I ever read is well, of any of this kind of stuff is what Moore did in Watchmen. You know, the Dr. Manhattan stuff. Right. Did a pretty good job of getting a sense of what it was like to be a person who could experience time in a different, you know, with a big not, not as a linear, with, with a giant blue penis. Yeah. Which is also somebody you're mistaken for. I, I, Constantly. <laughs> I'm mistaken for the penis. <laughs> yeah. It's really blue. Dr. Manhattan's dick, what are you doing around? Leave me alone. I'm trying to exist here and on Mars. I'm, I'm going to build an ice castle on Mars and then I'll be back after uh, everyone. I'll take I'll take the heat on this one and then I'll come back in a century or so. Um, but it, it really was. I mean, I, I thought the story was cool, but I also just, I mean, the, the game design was just stunning. Stunning. And you said, how long did you say you guys worked on? Uh, like four and a half years. It was a long, it was a long cycle. Yeah. Are you just over it by the end? Or are you like, I can't, I'm just. You're over it, but you're also like, if you really love a game you're working on, you're really passionate about it. You could always spend more time on it. And so like, they really had to pull it. Like it was a, pen, there was a pencils down moment in like December for me. Cause I had to go down the press tour and you're really and even now I can't really play for anything I work on because you always look back on I wish I had time to do this I wish I had time to do that but that can go on forever at some point you know you got to say you know okay enough's enough move on yeah did uh, were what were were there some elements that you were really attached to that you just couldn't I, I guess this isn't just for BioShock but as someone when you're when you're creating a game and you're literally building the universe you must have some ideas going in like here's a thing that I want to happen and then once the rest of the story kind of starts revealing itself, 
you, do you have other things that you're like, shit, I guess I got to let this thing go that I loved? Yeah, you, look, you run out of you run out of narrative room, you know. Sometimes, like like Daisy Fitzroy is a character who I I wish I had more time, more running time to develop. But you have to make choices along the way. Like it really, at the end of the day, it was like people asked me as we were developing, and like, oh, is this a game about American exceptionalism? Is this a game about quantum mechanics? Is this a game about this? And at the end of the day, it was really a game about Booker and Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. It was really about their story, and everything else was secondary to that story and the story of. of what happened to Booker and how he became spoilers, everybody so turn it off. Don't don't yell at me. Um, <laughs> how he became Comstock and 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 that moment that that moment of of, of bifurcation. But um, I, so you have to make choices, and you choose like any other creative endeavor. You say, well, what's what matters here? Do you want to go further in that story, further in this story, or do you want to stay with Booker and Elizabeth? And we always would choose Booker and Elizabeth. But what's awesome about games rather than movies? I mean, movies don't really have an equivalent to this, but with games, you can be like, man, I'll just toss in the DLC. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you wanted to really go into Daisy Fitzroy's story a little bit more, you could always just do a DLC pack. You know? Yeah, the, the, there, there's other places we, but, um. One of my guys wrote a, a book, um, a short, long, extended short story about Daisy, and there's a board game coming out, and there's uh, could be comic books, maybe, and you know you have all these other places you you could do that stuff. But the problem with you know telling a story, particularly in games, is that it's it's telling any story is really expensive, yeah. hugely expensive. It's you yeah. know so you have to really you have to, you have to make your choices. Mm-hmm. We are um, cosplaying. Here's the, <laughs> this is a very awkward story. story. We decided to cosplay as Booker and Elizabeth. No, really. Before we had finished the game, and so <laughs> shut up, Pat. And so started making. So had started having. Started making the costumes, and then we're, we're way too far along. Where then we're like, she's his wife. <laughs> We get to the end. And I'm like, whoa, that was awesome. Oh, You're like planning a romantic evening around yeah. the costumes. So, so we're going to be at San Diego Comic Con. And if there's any point where we're like making out of these characters, we're like, this was before we finished it. Before, <laughs> this is, a, is there any reality where they're not that related in that way? Some, there's got to be some reality. Yeah. Where they're. I mean. Well, people asked me all along when I was made, like, oh, so, so tell me about the romance. And I'm like, because I didn't, obviously couldn't. Like saying, right. well, there's, of course, there's not. Yeah. Right. Um, but that was an awkward question. And I sort of had to figure out how to answer that question without telling people. What, what, when what. I first started hearing about the game, I remember I was looking it up. Like, I was so excited about this. And then I saw somebody was saying that the relationship between Booker and Elizabeth was like a father-daughter. I actually read something like that. I remember reading that. And I was like, oh, man, bummer. But I totally, it blew my mind. Even Even though I'd heard that, I still didn't even think that that was the case like yeah it, it was it was weird because usually you expect a you know a ma- an attractive male an attractive female character in any kind almost any kind of media mm-hmm. there'd be some kind of of connection there but i found actually writing it yeah there's a look in any kind of setup when you're telling a story there's always a it takes work to get a romance going like you know like like they have to or or it just feels fake you know mm-hmm. like romance happens usually you know game is what eight hours long 10 hours 12 15 hours whatever it is or movie two hours long there's there's always a bit of forcing that goes on there things happen very quickly certainly falling in love people could be attracted but falling in love in that period of time is actually a very limited period of time it's really there's some artificiality there but having the kind of relationship they i found it very natural to write that kind of intimacy between the two of them because I didn't even have to incorporate that element, but they still felt to me like very much like when you find out their their relationship, 
it, that seemed, at least to me, it felt like it was, it worked and I didn't have to sort of, it would have been an extra layer, even if in a totally different story, to write that romantic element on top of it. There's got to be one universe where they're in bed together and Comstock comes in and he's like, oh, no. <laughs> Should have mentioned something. <laughs> oh, oh, no. There's always old boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, uh, I, 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 was, I was trying to figure out how smashed, how many universes he had smashed through from the very beginning, from when we first see him or what, if it was recursive or if, you know, uh, but just the idea of like, Oh, you know, it's okay. Every time he gets a nosebleed, that's a whole, that's a whole different universe's set of experiences that are like mashing into his brain. Did you have any, did you have it mapped out somewhere or is it sort of nebulous? We had, we did a lot of whiteboard mapping stuff out because frankly for us, we had to keep it, you know, as we developed it, we had to keep it all in our heads. Like everything, it's all like there's as far as I know, there's almost no um, like ever there's no there is nothing that doesn't actually make sense. Like from from a pra- logical, practical standpoint, some of it's fairly o- opaque in terms of how we chose to tor- tell the story. Like, for instance, you know, there's a element of Comstock's past and why he's as racist as he is, which is really buried very deep. But it's it's there. It's just buried very, very deep. And only a couple of people have picked up on it. But we mapped everything there's lots of whiteboards and lots of drawings and lots of like you know lines and this like, going back and forth why they have to be whiteboards yeah. uh-huh. what why they have to be whiteboards <laughs> did comstock make that up you know i the game i'm obviously i i crazy. didn't pick i never picked up on that like what was it what what i mean yeah. since you're since we're talking about there's, stuff it, no there's an audio log where he talks about um being in the army and how people would have the implication is that people thought he was had Native American. They Native American blood. There's right. a teepee in his family tree, and his reaction, what he did at Wounded Knee, was to show people that he was on on their team. Oh, he just got yeah. super racist. Yes, and and you know that sort of goes back to if you look at like you know like um, oh god, who is that politician? He died. Um, he ran for president in '48. Um, oh, he was married to. He had a he had a black child. And he ran on a segregationist platform, and in, in, um, oh, you know, there's overcompensation. The Ted, yeah. the Ted Haggards of the world, right, 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 yeah, right. Um, yeah. and Tiny you know, dick. these, yeah, these guys, these guys are all constantly overcompensating for right. the fact that there's something about themselves that they feel gays shouldn't marry, and then that guy's blowing the dude in the yeah, bathroom, yeah. kind well, of a thing. You hear what happened recently that the, uh, the 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 main people that were trying to turn gays straight, I can't remember the name of the Exodus, Exodus, yeah. Exodus, yeah. They just a the guy came out. He's like, oh, "I'm sorry, uh, I'm actually gay." Like he said, "I'm like, is, I'm really is, sorry, is, you guys." I figured there was a. Is that what happened? Because I, I read his That's apology, but did he, yeah, did he acknowledge me? He basically said, gay? "I've been trying to fight the urges for a long time," and like, yeah, he just seemed he was really genuinely sorry, and that just happened. It's crazy. Yeah, that you guys. So that was the that reference. That was the. Uh, so that was that because I I do remember that audio log. Yeah, I'm just always been interested in these people who instead of just accepting what the hell they are, they they go through all these sort of backward handstands to like hey i'm gay it's all right it's cool don't worry about it instead you have to like create this ridiculous life where you're teaching people how to come out of homosexuality through some kind of conversion therapy which of course doesn't exist you know (laughs) causing endless amounts of misery you know instead of just saying hey i'm gay it's cool or hey i'm a native american it's cool and and comstock was you know and i don't necessarily know how you know at the time you know like that was people asked me about the racism in the game and the game is not like the world of Columbia is not particularly racist for the time 
it was. I mean, there were certain parts of the country, and, and but it's, casual racism was very, very, very. It was a standard then. The notion of you know somebody being you know Irish or Jewish or, or Native American that you know there was it was openly racist at the time. And nineteen twelve. Yeah, I think people thought we were trying to make a larger point than we actually were, as compared to trying to actually just portray the period as it, as it was. I'm not just being like postmodern you know, need your lefty here. It really just was, you know, a time where that was just a casual part of, of, of society. But yeah. the earlier Bioshocks were kind of, I mean, I don't know necessarily, necessarily if they were making a statement, but I mean, you know, with the Ayn Rand novel and all, all of the correlations there, I feel like, you know, we kind of expect big statements from Bioshock. Yeah. You know, I, I think that the, it, 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 it I think part of it is a function of that. Yeah, we sort of we sort of set ourselves up for that. Yeah. Like you know we, that that we, that we that we sort of do that. And I, I think probably being as much of a history nerd as I was, as I wrote the thing, it, it seemed very natural that that would be a part of that mm. society. Um, where and that's why every time we showed something, people would react to, "Oh my God, this is what the game's about. This is what the game's about." And for me, the game was always about Booker and Elizabeth. But I can't really blame people because. Um, so I think that the average person doesn't necessarily like, you know, have a, a really clear picture of 1912 and, and what it was like. Right. And generally when media does show something like racism, it sort of becomes the the, the, focus. the focus because yeah. it's such a hot button topic. The only thing I remember about 1912 is that the Titanic is unsinkable <laughs> and that the heart of the ocean lies at the bottom of the ocean because she had to let Jack go. She had to let him go. That is the only thing that matters. About 1912. <laughs> that was the only thing that matters. About- That's the 1912. I know. But if you're saying there's some other fucking world up in a cloud, Ken, okay, I'm fine with that. You're okay with that? Yeah, I'm okay with it. That's suspended by by some sort of a quantum uh, um, uh, uh, idea that just keeps everything held in place. Yeah, it's science. Science. It's totally totally science. I'm waiting for the day when someone like yourself comes along and you're like, well, I want to write this game and here's the science that's involved in this game. And then they're helping you write it and then they discover something. Where Just, well, actually, we found so I had this so I had this sort of the, the theory for how the city was held up is like something I sort of like made up and pulled out of my butt, and then I went to talk to the um, that it was this particle that was constantly be, moving. There was a single particle that was constantly stay, moving backwards in time, at, like a second back in time each second that went by. So it was basically staying in, in position because it never falls because it never goes right. forward. It, it, oh, that's mind bendy. So I thought I thought of that like oh I'm really smart and then I actually talked to the physicist and she's like well yeah sort of kind of but then there's like five other hundred issues that would cause problems but then did he, I saw this there's this YouTube video this thing called um, quantum tunneling levitation no quantum levitation where where there's actually they have this disc that's suspended like and it's like it's like a, it's like a draw piece of dry ice or something it's suspended over a magnetic field and it floats and like it sits there and you can like turn an angle and oh, it would yeah. sit there I've and it float a continual a continual have you ever seen it i have not science man it's like science it's, it's real mind blowing god damn it but but it is but I, I do believe that i do believe that more scientists should work with artists because the artists are the ones that don't have they don't necessarily think scientifically right away. They just go, oh, what if this were possible? And then some scientists can come along and go, oh, actually, I might be able to connect the dots for you and figure that out. I mean, that's what we did on both these games. Basically, I thought of some big, stupid idea, and I talked to some scientists. They go, well, you know, if you do this. Well, after Bioshock 1, Wired wanted to do an interview about the science of Bioshock 1. And, and I was like, well, you know – 
you can modify your genetics all you want, but bees are never going to fly out of your hand, no matter what right. you do. Right. And so it was a little awkward because I think they thought I had really thought it out to a degree that I had not thought it out to. That's um, hey, Kyle. Can you? What, is there music playing down there? Yeah, yeah, go yeah, yeah. Just go ask him to turn it down. Um, no, how about this? You demand. Put your foot down. I will get satisfaction in a nice way. Um, but I want to. What? I have a quick question, really quick. Sure. Okay. Um, there's a part when the songbird dies, and he makes this. He makes a screechy noise. Yeah. But in the, I think it, he usually already knows that. Sorry, let me explain. You can hear the sound, the exact same sound that the songbird makes in that game in the first game. Here's the thing: I won't, I won't talk about. <sighs> I don't want to like, like one thing that I think is I like about the game is that people have a lot of theories about various things. Like, like there are things that are factual. Like Comstock talks about you know, being potentially Native American. That's like in a log. But I don't want to like say yes or no to things oh, that are, are more opaque. But okay. I, I love the fact that people are debating like this stuff because it's it, it lets them, like I'm a guy like, I'm like a 2001 guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Paul Thomas Anderson, the master guy. I'm like a guy who likes that opacity and things. Mm-hmm. And so I've been really trying to avoid getting involved in like, you know, like going out in interviews and saying this means that or oh that's true or you know the people there's a lot of theories and you know maybe true maybe not about like the um you heard about the 122 theory no you um there's some bells at the beginning of the game when you go into the lighthouse mm-hmm. and you hit the first one once the second one twice and the third one twice and then there's um when you meet the Lutessas the second time when they have the, the coin flip thing, yeah. there's 122 marks on the... Uh, oh, wow. And so, you know, there's a, there's a debate going back and forth about the meaning of that. And people ask me, oh, what, you know, what does it mean? And I don't want to... I'd rather people... What does it matter what I think? So I have a you question know, for you then. As, as a storyteller, it, um, at what point do you feel that a storyteller has a responsibility to share things with the audience and not share things with the audience? For instance, you know, like... Um, like, you know, midichlorians. We didn't, do we really need to know what the force was? I don't know. You know, probably not. Yeah. But but then, you know, when – so, like, we're fine just knowing, like, well, there's a force in the universe. And then I've heard other people, like, people on shows, people on people who write on shows or who write movies that have a certain amount of, you know, a mysterious element that they never explain. And they go, oh, well, you know, it's sort of like the force. And, the, and then sometimes you go, no, but that you should explain. Like, where do you, where do you feel the responsibility lies with the storyteller to – like, what information do you think the person should have? Well, this—I mean, this is interesting because you know, I think it's a great—I think it's a great question because at the end of the game, I think there's a lot of people who were frustrated because, like, well, I want to know, like, well, I don't understand what does this mean? What does that mean? And part of it is the quantum mechanics thing. It's just that even if I explained it, it wouldn't make any sense because people generally, unless they have—and I'm not one of those people. I'm not claiming I have this background. But unless you have a deep background in quantum mechanics, it doesn't. The whole thing doesn't make sense. Like the idea of infinite realities, which is sort of mathematically. Well, there's a there's a many worlds theory, mm-hmm. and certainly something is going on. That light is both you know light when it's observed is both a, um, a, a particle and and a wave. Mm-hmm. Like that's true, at least from a math as much as we can mathematically know, and that has certain implications. Now, one implication may be that there's infinite number of universes, and there are these sort of infinite splits for every microcosmic decision can be made splits into another into the other universe. That's called the, the many worlds theory. 
whether that's true or not is is a is is up for debate whether that's true but it is true that light is both a part can be observed both simultaneously as a particle and a wave in in two different states and that's where you know schrodinger's cat is, mm-hmm. is sort of comes from that, that that thought experiment comes from that so there are things that like just are inexplicable about it just because we're not brains aren't really designed to know but then there's things about you know well what is what is the ending you know where you see did you guys see the coda where yes goes, yes you know, where he goes into the room and oh, she's yeah, in yeah, there yeah. You know, like what's that about? Well, is she in there? I mean, that's a, that's that's another question. You know, he says Anna. He says Anna, but you don't actually. Is she in the? Is she in the cradle? Oh, so is that is that a little quantum mechanics Easter egg? Is she, uh, that's what people when people ask when people ask me is she in that cradle? Well, is the cat? Yeah, in the in the. Um, oh, I, I'd love to know with something like this where where you start this yeah, story, seriously. like because the idea um, when I when I sort of was able to grasp the idea of, you know, and I think I'm right about this, that, um, that Elizabeth has the ability to, uh, make tears because she, her finger gets cut off in it in, when they made a mechanical tear. And so now she's existing in two different universes. And so now that means that she's spread out across, like mm-hmm. she has the ability to cross the universe. Is that, uh, is that, a, a, an idea that, you had to stumble upon to justify it or early on were you like, this is going to be the thing that basically unfolds the whole story. So the pinky actually was a way for us to explain visually what she was. That came on super late. If you go back and you look at earlier demos and I'll be honest here, we didn't have that notion in earlier demos because we didn't, we were going, okay, we're going to have to explain all that. We knew we were going to a place where we have to explain it, but what you have to explain and how you explain it, it's critically important how you explain it. It doesn't matter what you're explaining if you don't have a good way to explain it. So that's something that occurred to me on a run that we could have a visual element that you had seen the entire time that um, would both explain that's the moment when you realize who she is, that this is that the baby is, is Elizabeth, but it also is the sort of the explanation, you know, the background of the explanation of why, you know, why she, how she exists in multiple universes. But we knew we had to have her, we knew we wanted her to be a re we needed a reason why she was special. And we just sort of for the longest time said, we'll figure that out. Um, <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't have that. And that's sort of, when well, that goes back to your question that you were asking, like, where, where do you feel the responsibility to explain everything? And you, I, I mean, she could have just been. That was definitely one of those things. I, 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 but that's one of those things you have to, I feel like you have to try yes, to I, explain. You can't not, you're just be like, because if you don't, if you, if you can't wrap your mind around why she has that ability, then it's just like a deus ex machina. And it's like, oh, so right, she's yeah. just a weird freak. You're completely right. I think we knew we needed to explain that. We could, I don't think – I think we just said she's just a unique snowflake. That, that probably wouldn't have, have – the audience I think would have rightly probably said, hey, you know, you guys go fuck yourselves. Right. I didn't think about this. But – so we knew we had – to explain something about why she was, it just happened that all those things sort of dovetailed into explaining, you know, that moment explained a bunch of things for us. Um, you know, that it was that when you saw, you know, the finger Jane chopped off, you had seen her with her finger off the whole time, but that was something we came with fairly late. And all of a sudden we realized she, we wanted her missing a finger. And so all those animations where you see her, like, you know, at the very it's beginning the reacting to that stuff, we added very relatively late in the day because we it became the way we could explain all this stuff but i also thought like oh well it's also a nice character thing for her it's a nice mystery 
that's hiding in plain sight the entire time. But it, it was one of those things that we knew we had to explain. We just didn't honestly know how to. Well, in a minute, I'm going to I'm gonna get up Bioshock Infinite because I'm sure you probably have talked about it a lot in the last several months. But I do have one more question, which is um, – and then, and then I asked Reddit to ask some questions because they – uh, they had questions, and I want I want I want people to, <laughs> I thought, I thought. you know, that was Chloe's idea, and so uh, and I actually did get a bunch of questions, so I want to I want to I want to in our gaming good wanna, ones, not scary ones, not, not yeah. scary ones, um, <laughs> but scary. but it's just from a just from a, a, a just from a creator standpoint was was the seed of the note was the notion of this game, like what was your original idea when you first had the concept of this game? Was it to tell the story of choices and redemption and changing and, or was it, well, we're going to want to have this game. That's sort of a, you know, a guy running through this world and there's a, what's the opposite of underwater. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, 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 what was the, where, where did the idea uh, originate? There's a, a napkin that our art director did. Uh, Scott Sinclair did. And I wish I could, I had a visual for you here, which when we started working, it was a, a, a like a wave and then a house. This was the art direction Bible for Bioshock Infinite. It was a, a wave and then a little house at the bottom of, underneath the water. And it said no. And then a, a wave and a cloud and a, and a house above it. And you said yes. So basically, so that, that was the opposite of underwater. <laughs> <laughs> really. um, and, and, you know, we, we – um... oh, here it is. Oh, you have it? Oh, my gosh. Here. Thanks, Mary. Oh, my wife shit. just found it. That's really funny. <laughs> That is, did you have you posted this anywhere online? Yeah, yeah. You guys can if you want to. If I can get it to you, yeah, I would love to. That's, that's really funny. Um, yeah. So Scott Sinclair had that, and it's like it's like he wrote it. It's like you can see like food stains on it and stuff. He like <laughs> he did it at lunch someday. Um, but you know, we we knew we wanted to do something. We knew the the only thing we had at the beginning is we liked the the city and we liked the time period because it was sort of a really untouched time period. Besides, as you said, the the pearl what the blue. Oh, the heart of the ocean. The heart of the ocean. Yeah. So you got that. You got that. That's close to your heart. I could see you got that. Right? Yeah, yeah, near, far, wherever you are. I can't, I can't wait for the Titanic video game. I believe that. <laughs> Who do you think would make the Titanic video game? What studio do you think could make the Titanic video oh, game? Fuck! Spoiler alert: We're doing it. <laughs> what? Shit! Well, they did. Our they did project. the Douglas Adams like underwater. They did. They did. <laughs> we, I've talked about this on podcast before. One of my favorite games was an adaptation of Doug, Douglas Adams' story with Starship Titanic, and they did a bit like a PC game, Starship Titanic, and it's it's fucking gorgeous. Did you ever play it, Kyle? It. I, I, it's really cool, but basically you're on this, and and I think it's Terry Jones, maybe it's one of the Pythons, but I think it's Terry Jones. Um, it kind of narrates the game, and you're alone on this this Starship Titanic, and it's a puzzle game, and you have to go through and oh, do a bunch cool. of crazy shit, but it's fucking gorgeous. I mean, it was sort of like imagine a Douglas Adams version of like Mist. It's like in the '90s. Yeah, late '90s. I I remember oh, playing it on, cool. on PC, Starship Titanic, and it's a fucking gorgeous game, and. Um, and so uh, I always I love that. So they someone did a version of it, but no, well, I don't. No one's we done. We should the, remake it and put zombies. Do on it. it. I'll tell you what happened is James Cameron would just be like, "I'm going to invent a game engine <laughs> <laughs> at the bottom of the ocean." <laughs> <laughs> He'll just fucking do it. Like, I can, love having Cameron Kyle just... here. I always feel like I have to out laugh Kyle. Now. You can't. I don't think I can. You can't out laugh Kyle. Look, basically, That's we're we're just behind. You know, we're just whatever Cameron does. You know, he did underwater, and we five years later, we did underwater. He did like, he did Avatar. He did. You know, we're in the sky. Now we're in the clouds. Now you're in the clouds. Um, you know, we we just had, we like the period. 
we felt it's an, it was fairly untapped. Like not a lot of people have done games in this period. We like the art from the period, like all the all the forward looking art from the period. You saw like lots of idealistic like science fiction and the notion of a city in the clouds and sort of that sort of religious elements sort of came out of that. I'm so bummed because I bought the Bioshock soundtrack hoping to get uh, God Only Knows, the quartet version of it, and it's not on there. And I imagine because it's probably a really hard to license to sell that. <laughs> yeah, we would, I love to do that soundtrack. It's on YouTube. The, 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 <laughs> I know, I know. I've watched it many The times. economics of doing that soundtrack would be like oh, yeah. deadly. But like, those that soundtrack is so amazing. I mean, it's chilling, like all of the songs on there and, and Elizabeth's cover that song isn't she great courtney the draper oh, she is yeah, courtney, beautiful she, voice it's insane we um that was like my favorite like like the reason i put that video at the end i was like like because usually like you're in you're in a studio you and like 500 other nerds and you're like hanging out one day with like these two like beautiful actors and they start like singing and playing guitar together and and you're like you kind of feel like you're with hanging out with the popular kids all of a sudden so i'm like oh i want to prove i hung out with the popular kids so i put that video <laughs> <at the end. laughs> that's right and troy baker was the voice troy, yeah. Yeah. we just saw troy 83 yeah, he's such was. a nice guy and 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 the, the the acting in the game is is fantastic as well. It's just a, all around. It's just a great game, and I'll just I'll slobber all over that game's knob forever. I don't care. I mean, I was bummed when I finished it because I'm like, now I'm done. What what do you have a favorite uh, um, vigor weapons combo? I like the crows. Oh, you like you I like, like crows. crows, and I always like a shotgun. I go back to Doom. You yeah, know, shotguns. I just like crows, birds, shotguns. I was shotgun and sniper. Yeah. Were my two favorite. And then uh, I the love I love Bucking Bronco and Hell's Kiss. Those are my two like yeah. you raise them in the air and just fucking light them up. Yep. Those are those are my faves. We're going to get a we're, we're um we're making those vigor bottles for the Devil's Kiss. We're going to sell them. I'll send you I'll send you a Thank what's it, what what's going to be in it? You'll have to drink it. Oh out. shit. <laughs> And then my arm starts getting all crazy and, and weird. Yeah, you guys would make the best cocktails. We had actually at our at our Bioshock One launch party, they had somebody, some like I don't know what do you call it, um, caterer made like plasmid themed cocktails. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. They were, they were good. We should just we should just do a pop up bar like Comstock House, and then just fucking everything oh, yeah. inside. Just, you'll come back and be a nerd, the next nerdist thing. You just like you'll find that your team has already done it. <laughs> I know that's what happens here. Like you guys already did a Comstock house. Yeah, it was great. Was uh, where, where were you? Um, but uh, I want to sort of you know just because I, I th- there's so many areas that I want to ask things I want to ask about, and then and then we'll get to some Reddit questions. But um, uh, so you you did you start in the gaming industry or you were right i mean i know you i was like a 97 maybe it was a rational go back to 97 yeah we started in 97 yeah yeah but then before that was it was it did you want to write for television and film where i'm leading with this is logan's run but uh but (laughs) but um did you want to do television and film and you're like you know i think there's a lot of really great narrative things to be happening because you know in the 80s there wasn't as much. You couldn't really tell as much of a story in video games just because yeah. of technological limitations. Yeah. But in the 90s, is that where you're like, I want to do theatrical stuff, but I really feel like there's a future with gaming. I mean, I was a screen. I I was like, you know, I was um, I was I moved to L.A. in like 89 or something like a long time ago when I got out of college, a couple of years ago, then I got out of college and I got a job writing a movie for Paramount, like some horrible romantic, a rewrite of some horrible romantic comedy. Did it get made? So like it was it was terrible and I made it slightly less terrible um, <laughs> and it was really it was really like I was young and I was like I came out here and like 
all of a sudden I had all these new buddies who were taking me to Spago and they really <laughs> liked me. And then it turns out like I was just the you know kid writer, new writer number seven thousand nine hundred and forty-two, and it was kind of heartbreaking for me. And um, and I kind of I like kind of freaked out and like bailed. Like I just was not ready. I thought I. I was not ready for that intersection of art and commerce at the time. I was just mm-hmm. too young for it. And I went, I was like, I became a computer consultant and like graphic designer for like seven years. And all of a sudden I was like, Oh my God, I'm like going to turn 30 and I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And I applied for a job at this company looking glass. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was like 28 or 29, I got the job. And then like a year and a half later, I started um, irrational. I, I, I just always played games. I don't think I was even thinking about being a storyteller in games. I think that's probably why they hired me, but I just wanted to, I just thought it was cool to make games. And then I realized once I got in that the, as you said, the bar was pretty low at that point for, for storytelling in games. And I, as a guy who loved film and loved TV, the kind of stories that I liked, I didn't really see represented. Like, you know, the first game I worked on was a game called Thief. And it's basically this film noir character. You know, he's basically like a Sam Spade or, you know, any you know film noir detective character. And I basically just lifted that whole idea out of film noir and put it into a, you know, a medieval setting. And it was felt original and unique, not because I sort of came up with film noir, just because I figured out like, oh, this whole kind of storytelling is just not, doesn't exist in games. Games are at that point were very much like, you know, either space aliens or, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Or just some sort of a side scrolling thing where you're like, yeah, you just go through and shoot stuff and then there's punch a there's a goal at the end. Yeah, you kick and punch and shoot and then yeah. there, there just wasn't the place there wasn't room to tell any story, you know, there or, or the mechanism to tell any story really. You know, there wasn't the technology to tell the story. There's such a huge responsibility with a video game because you know, the movie, it's an hour and a half to two and a half hours of someone's life. And they're basically just a voyeur. And with a video game, people are, they just meld with it. I think, and I think that's why the gaming community is more passionate than any other consumer because they basically form these fucking Vulcan mind melds with games. Well, they're, they're and engaged. they control them and they're engaged for like, you know, 12, 13. I mean, I always <laughs> consider a game good if I can't stop thinking about it when I'm not playing it. Like right now, I'm thinking about a little bit about Last of Us right now. I'm just like thinking about where I'm going to go next. And I mean, that was the same with Bioshock Infinite. I couldn't stop thinking about it when I wasn't playing it. I'm like, when am I going to get to play that again? You know? And Well, because it's, it's by definition, you're engaged in a way that you're not because it requires, it asks things of you. You can't sort of fall asleep playing it, you know, the way you can fall asleep watching a movie or something like that. I yeah, well, I was a cowboy for a month during Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, because, like, in Red Dead, like, you could go just ride around and all of a sudden, like, the rain comes in over the horizon and then you decide to go sit down in front of your campfire and you, it's just that kind of experience that nobody's telling you, okay, it's time to move on, it's yeah. time to move on. It, it's, and that's why I think that, you know, that game, if somebody had told me that one of the most compelling gameplay experiences for me would be just riding over her, you know, towards a horizon yeah. when the rain, when the storm comes in and the music, I, and the music yeah. playing. It just makes this beautiful experience. You just don't have anywhere else because it's your experience. You know, it's your moment. And um, that's why in terms of storytelling, I've always, I, I never really liked cutscenes because I wanted, even if it's hard or even if the story, even if you miss things, a lot of people, a lot of the confusion over infinite comes across the fact that people miss certain things. You know, they don't see it. They don't find the audio. Log. But I, as a gamer, that's what makes games unique is the ability that it's, you can miss stuff, but when you find something or when you have that moment, maybe you'll never catch that sunset exactly the way the artist intended you to in Red Dead. But when you do, 
you know, when you catch that moment, it's something incredible and something powerful that no other media, it's no other media has it. No, no other media at all. Yeah. I, and it's, I sort of like that because we had Randy Pitchford on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I haven't posted the podcast yet, but just there, there does seem to be this sort of, um, fraternity of of studio heads who all sort of talk and yep. you know like you said you're you're chatting with your friends with gabe and and randy i think he said did did he have you come play borderlands and yeah, he came out to play, i mean he's he's a sweetheart he came out like randy this incredibly busy guy came out to play infinite when we were sort of getting near the end to give us his feedback and it was incredibly helpful well all these guys jake solland who worked on XCOM and and randy and like a bunch of other people there's people are very generous with their in the end games industry with their time and their and their he played the whole game through i mean that's not trivial oh you know, wow he went to boston to play the whole game through and that's not a trivial you know no. task to ask of somebody who's really busy but he did he was, he was a real have smart. you seen the industry change since 97 um well, the money is obvious. There's a lot more money, a lot more marketing people. Not necessarily a lot more money for the people who make the game. So there's, right. a, there's a lot more m- money out there. The consoles are much more thing. I think the audience. I, I I think the audience has grown. Obviously, um, I think there's um some. I, I think that I, I think one of the reasons we talked about fans and the intensity of the fans. I think part of it is as you as you said, they're they're engaged in a way they're not in other media because they play the games and they have that level of engagement, but they're also equally engaged with the dialogue. You know, I have, I don't know how many Twitter followers and I talk back, you know, I'm constantly engaged with them and they tell me, you know, very frankly what they think, you know, sometimes. <laughs> and, that, and that's great. And I think that's, you know, that's very common in the games. I don't know how common that is in, in, in other forms of media, but I think because games are so new, almost all the things we think about when come to the internet, you know, whether it's LOL or FTW, all that stuff comes out of the game space originally, you know, out of the internet nerd space. And so we're, it's a very, it's always been a very interactive, we, st- all that interactivity started in the game space. So I think there's really good stuff that that level of interact interactivity. I think there's also a sense that something I don't really connect to as a gamer, like I'm a fan, like, and I like games and I like movies and I like comics I don't, I'm not, I don't worry about like if a game I'm going to like, yeah. it's going to be good or bad. I don't have a ton of anxiety. I don't have a ton of emotion. If I like it, I like it and I play it and I'm excited. If I don't like it, I kind of, I kind of move on. But there's this sort of, um, there's been a level of intensity and intent level of anger sometimes even, which I guess I, I, I get, but I don't personally feel. Right. Um, I don't know if I understand the anger before. I, I feel like one thing that does happen in, in the various communities, in the gaming community, and, and even in just in, in regular, uh, in, in other media content, where people just get so angry at stuff before they even experience it, or they'll just go, that thing's fucking sucks. They're like, have you seen or played it yet? No. Well, then what if you just experienced it and then made the judgment? Well, that's that's what bothers me is like with this whole E3 thing is just people are really upset and like it's it's almost like this the government is implanting this box in your house, but you don't have to spend money on a console that you don't like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, like somebody said, I was reading a comment thread about Microsoft's announcement today and they said like, oh, it's too little too late. I'm like. How is it yes. too late? Like, <laughs> I know I, some guy got mad at me because I I posted the story that like they reversed all the stuff that people were mad about, and he was like, "They only did it because of soft sales, not for not because of the gamers." So <laughs> fuck them. And I'm like, "But you got what you wanted. I don't give a shit why they did it." And not only that, like every company, every move that every company makes is 
to make more money in the end because they need to keep the company going. They're a public company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and I think it's important that people sort of know that going in that, look, that A, it's people do things as a business. However, doing things that people like and that fans appreciate is also good business. So, but it is at the end of the day, these people, and I, I always try to be very clear, you know, it, it it's a business. And if I don't run a good business, the people I have, lose their lose their jobs and I, so I think it's important to do things that make a good business on the other hand the gamers have every right to say you know fuck you that's not for me mm-hmm. and they should ex- they should exercise that right com- yeah. completely and yeah. I think that's their old at the end of the day they're the ultimate authority I think that the sometimes they might you know the emotion can get in the way of actually like judging what they might actually like and what might not like. But at the end of the day, it's entirely their prerogative. Like you can never tell somebody, especially a, a customer, you know, essentially mm-hmm. feel this way or feel that right. way. But there is good business in making people feel like appreciated and good yeah. and listened to. That's really, really important. That's why I'm on Twitter as much as I am. Trust me, it's not because I like having people call me douchebag at two in the morning. You know? <laughs> oh, um, it, it's because, I personally love it. When you did that to me, when you call me douchebag, <laughs> um, yeah, I, do you get all? Do you, I mean, how much? How much do you get? Um, <laughs> you know, I got to be honest. I, I think it's probably realistically, it's probably it's not as bad as you say it is. Well, it's not as bad as I say it is because I'm sure the majority of where it happens is not at me i'm sure it just happens in forums that i don't go on right um but i i would say it's like 85 85 percent of the people are really nice and 15 percent of the people yeah. are you know are really mean and you know and i've gotten a lot of, no 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 it's fine it's so it's totally fine and it is yeah it's like i don't you know i don't need everyone to, i don't need everyone to like me i my only thing is like Hey, you know, you don't have to go out. If you don't like something, then just you don't have to go out of your way to walk up to someone and go, "Excuse me, fuck, fuck you." you. I get like, Why did you? Why did I? I this, 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 there's that great. You ever see that Curb Your Enthusiasm where like um, Larry calls Larry David calls somebody to um, do a recommendation for some assistant he had, like you know, for another, and um, he goes, "Oh, I'm Larry David. I, I did um, I did the sign. I did Seinfeld." He goes. Never saw it. Not a fan. <laughs> and he goes, and he's, he's like, why? Why did you have to tell me that? Saw that part? <laughs> but you know, actually, Meredith and I, my wife and I, start actually. We have some of our favorite trolls, and we kind of miss them when they go away because they are real. Like, the anger is eventually. Like, if you look at it the right way, it's really entertaining. Oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, there's you know, no question. You can't let it get to you because then they win. Oh know? no, you ne- so, never feed. There's some people where I'm like, I'm going to send you some WD-40 to unstick that caps lock button <laughs> because clearly it's stuck because it's all caps all well, the time. Because you only have to push it once, and then it just and then it just comes right, and yeah, then it just then sticks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I always, I, I was. Well, it's a lot easier than having to hit the, sh- the shift like repeatedly. Like, yeah, no, that's true. Leave it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that being said, it is. I, I mean, I do think. I, I weirdly think that like you know, like running a game studio or creating a game is sort of a brave profession because you know that every choice that you make is in some way going to divide people, yeah. and you know they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna let you know, and so it is sort of a. <laughs> I'm not saying it's like a, a war, but there is a little bit of a wow. I know that you know whatever I do because. As, as someone, you know, like, if you play games, you take great ownership over the story. Like, Bioshock Infinite is kind of not yours. It's everyone's. It's everybody's, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, choices that you make, you know, particularly with whatever you do next with it, or, like, people might go, no, that's wrong. And you're like, really? Yeah, but I thought of it. But you have to be okay with that because it doesn't really belong to you yeah, anymore. Absolutely. Like, I heard a podcast or someone was talking about Infinite. They were saying, and they had an interpretation of something that happened, and they said, 
if I find out that actually it means this, I'm going to be so mad. I'm like, how are you going to find out? Like, like, it, <laughs> like, how can it mean anything than what you thought it meant? Like, what? I, it's not mine. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's not ours. Whatever you think about it, and that's why I'm so reluctant to answer some of those questions, is the authorial intent doesn't really matter that much. Like, like after you've written a couple of things and you go and you read and you've read, like, people have written their theses on various Bioshock things. And you read and you realize that, most academia is complete bullshit because, you know, like it's all people's interpretations of things. And generally they give a lot more credit to the thought process <laughs> of the creator than they thought, the thought. The creator is usually like it's three in the morning. You're trying to get something done and you don't plan things out nearly as carefully as sometimes people think they do. Like I read a whole thesis on Bioshock, one of the naming of the characters, how all the names were taken from all these sort of literary and historical precedents. And really I just pulled them out of my ass but, right. may, but may, maybe on a subconscious level you actually were doing that you just didn't realize it yeah i don't like, realize, i didn't realize how smart i actually am <laughs> but there might but you know your brain has a lot of your, your brain has a lifetime's worth of stuff in there that influences you and most that's of it true. you're just not aware of so maybe you did but but again but that's, if it's fun for the person does it matter like like yeah, that person no, enjoys course. it i think it's great you know was there anything that you uh is there anything about your work in general that you discovered after you made it because i feel like sometimes you can make a thing and then – but when you see it in front of you and then you go, oh, I guess I really was trying to express this thing that I didn't understand before. Like there was uh, – somebody pointed out like – so there's – if you know, there's um, a Cindy Lauper song playing. Yes. Girls just want to have fun. When yeah, you're on the yeah. beach. And I, I, I knew that was the right sound. Like we, we have this whole idea that we would take these modern songs and, and repurpose them for the period. Tears for Fears. Tears for Fears. Uh, Creed, Credence, Beach Boys. Yeah. Um, and the Cindy Lauper song just sounded right for that point for me and girls just want to have fun Lizzo was out for the first time having a good time but apparently there's a line in that song that says some 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 men just want to take a beautiful girl and hide her away from the rest of the world i re- i read this whole thing that you're referring to like they went through every single song okay. and explained why it fit into the that that the fact that it was that particular that line i totally didn't recall that line in the song so that was a complete happy accident like that, oh, that particular wow that's line. so funny um and it's one of those things where you're like oh well well, well played levine because <laughs> i was sitting there i'm like oh these are really this is way deeper than i thought yeah no a lot of them were like a lot of them had a lot of deeper but that particular line which is so accurate about elizabeth you know exactly describing her situation was complete happenstance so uh oh, oh you know the time travel element i didn't fully was Fink jumping forward in time somehow? The, I mean, I'll let you say. It. I was like, I was about to explain it, but I'll no, let you go ahead. Go ahead. I'd rather, I'd rather okay. hear you explain. Chloe's going to explain what she thinks, and well, then you no, can it tell said it in right the right. game. There was an audio log. It oh, what was it. the audio log? Basically, he found there was a tear that was in his studio, and he started hearing these songs coming through the tear. Oh, So he gotcha. heard the songs, and so he stood, started to write, rewrite his, the songs. His brother, Fink's brother. Oh, his brother. Yes. Yeah, so they were they were both borrowing, both Fink and his brother. One, one, was borrowing, one was borrowing music. The brother is a musician. He was, Fink was leaning more towards the science and industry aspect right. of it. Interesting. Um is uh, I want to shift a little bit off Bioshock because I, we don't have a ton of time left, and I've got <laughs> to talk to you about Logan's Run, which is, I think, so. I mean, just the the idea of the story that you are writing this movie is so huge because it legitimizes gaming as. I mean, I don't obviously, you know, everyone plays games, and in the industry's, you know, like people pay millions of dollars, and games outsell films and. But I feel like from a creative standpoint, it legitimizes 
what you guys do in, in in the rest of entertainment, which I feel like for the longest time, having grown up with games, I feel like the rest of entertainment was like, ah, games, that's kid stuff. You know, like it's the same way that sort of film looks down yeah. on television and television looks down on the Internet. And, the, you know, there was a pecking order. And I feel like now that is something that helps legitimize it as a real storytelling medium, which is pretty I think it's very exciting. I think that I think you're right in a lot of ways that the and, um, you know, I've always felt this that, you know, creative people are creative people. And like, you know, when I talk to a guy like Guillermo, who's going to work in games, as long as, you know, they're going to put, you know, their heart into something like, of course, of course, Guillermo del Toro could make a, be involved in making a great game. Of course, he's a really talented guy. and He's a nerd, you know, like he he cares. He's passionate about this stuff. But for some reason, that's only that. that it's in that direction. Gone, yeah, it's gone yeah. that way. And. I had I've had meetings before where people said to me, "Oh, you know what you should do? Why don't you and this sort of big film director work together? We can put you in a room with him and you can help him make a game." And I'm like, I, "I'm it's not, you know, that's not particularly interesting." In the same way, he's probably not going to come to me and say, "Oh, help direct, help me direct a movie." Right. You know, he's a creative guy who could can totally handle that on his own. And if I were to do a movie, you know, that's something I would just do and I, I would have to convince somebody with the money to you know to, to make that happen but for some reason it's games have been viewed as junior varsity mm-hmm. um you know or, and that's very common that's been very common Hollywood. but until you start there are people you start you, when until you meet the right people who are who you know can recognize that oh maybe this guy might have something to say you know in this medium as well um and i think it's really good for games i think it's really good for not just for gamers and games i think it's just good for if there are people who are passionate about things, you know, in a, if they can demonstrate an ability to do it, why should they just be, you know, doing it in one area? And this project in particular, I mean, Logan's was something that if not for Logan's run, there is no Bioshock. You know, this whole dystopian, that's the, when I was 10 years old, I saw Logan's run and I remember there was a, a, a trailer for it. And it's, it's not, you know, the original is, it's a movie of its time, right? It's a very it doesn't, I, listen, I hope I'm not upsetting anyone when I say this, but it doesn't necessarily hold up like oh, all the years. Oh my God, hold on. I got to tweet at you. Please do. You're a douche. <laughs> no, it's not two in the morning. Um, but the, the, the concept, the, the concept, concept is, is great. It's so yeah. great. And it deserves, I felt the concept is so strong. And I've read the book a hundred times and I've seen the movie a hundred times. They're, they're not, the. they have a lot of problems, but the concept has stayed with me for 30 something years and it was the thing that turned me on to dystopian stories and so if not for that then i never would have read 1984 i never would have read and then there would have been no dystopian game so i feel a responsibility as a creator to say like i love this thing the same way that i was thought objectivism and art deco were interesting and cool and i wanted to make something that could show other people like hey you know if you said art deco to a gamer 10 years ago they'd be like for the average game, they're probably like, you know, I don't know, <laughs> objectivism. You have to find a way where you say, like, this is cool and here's why it's mm-hmm. cool. And the same with Logan's that as I'm just – as a nerd, it was so such a part of my birth as a, you know, as a nerd, creative nerd that I, I felt for, for my whole life this is something I really – I wanted to make popular. I wanted to show people why it was cool. And that's really the impetus behind it, that I just want people to see why it's cool. And again, it's it's buried under all this 70s stuff or the book under all this sort of 60s stuff and some, you know, goofy special effects and all that. But there's something deep down that is so compelling that I just want to bring out. I always love I always love those too. the um, just the, not not just the dystopian future, but also the idea that there's some um, 
non-corporeal consciousness that controls everything, yeah. whether it be a, you know, a computer or just like some weird hive mind or like the, I don't know, even if it's like the Kryptonian, the Kryptonian council, or just like some weird group that somehow has wrestled control to say, you know, to reorganize society. Right. And, they, and they have a better idea of how life, your life should run than you should. Yeah, exactly. And, it, it's, it, it, and it's, you know, there's, it's, it, it's a, it's got great ideas and it comes from a time before people were really – before people knew how to turn science fiction into popular like, – like science fiction back then was – you know it was sort of, oh, yeah, it's, we'll do a science fiction movie every – it's like one science fiction movie a year. I mean I'm 46 and I was – I don't know how old you were. When I was growing up, there was like one year there was Rollerball and the next year there was – Logan's Run, and the next year right. was Westworld. Westworld, and, and then the Westworld sequel. Yes, and that was like, but it was like one or two a year, you right? Know? And then Star Wars hit, and then all of a sudden people realized there was, you know, there there was money in the banana stand, and they started, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm five episodes into the new Rest of Developments. You got to see the the sixth one is where it really is. It really starts coming. To, it's all everything's starting to sort of come together now. The Job one and and the Anne and Job. You got to you, you'll see. Oh my God! Um, so if that that oh fuck that's a great reference but, it, but it's true people they didn't think there was money there and then all of a sudden they realized there was money there and then people started in the same way like superhero like when i was a kid there was there were no superhero movie there's like a spider-man television show and it was terrible oh it was really know? bad I, you know it's funny you say that because i was just telling uh our friend matt key who is the biggest comic book he's probably the biggest comic book nerd i know and matt had no idea that there was a 70s spider-man tv show oh yeah and he was like, what? Well, first of all, he didn't know about the Shazam show. I he didn't know about Shazam. And I was like, yeah, there was a Shazam show. And it sort of looked Croft-esque. Right. Um, but it wasn't. It was um, – oh, who did that one? It was uh, Shimer. I think it was Shimer maybe. Oh, fuck. I don't remember. Anyway. It, but, uh, yeah, the, the Spider-Man show in the 70s. It, remember the web shooter? The web the shooter. Outside, yeah, yeah. The and outside. It just, and it just looked like – it. Yeah, the web shooter on the outside. And it just, it just looked like Rope. rope. Uh, Maybe because we, it was. It was, but <laughs> it's on. It's on YouTube. It's on. I follow a great subreddit called Obscure Media, and if you go to Obscure Media, this, if if you follow this Obscure Media subreddit, it's all these old fucking awesome things That's that awesome. are just literally obscure media. Like I saw the other day, I saw like a failed Monsters animated pilot uh, really? called like Little Monsters or something, and then there was a. Um, uh, wait, this one. This one I have to share with you because it's. Uh, Oh no, that's Brian Cranston's top five Reddit moments. Uh, <laughs> this is a nineteen sixty. Oh, I think I closed it. It was just this weird, like Octoman. It was like a nineteen seventy one movie where there was like a part octopus guy. Are you subscribe to R Space Days. I'm don't. No one should subscribe. To, don't. <laughs> Bam. Don't. Don't do that. R Space Day. Don't do it. No, don't do it. Don't do so. it. All right. Go easy. How about our dragons fucking cars? Are we on that one? That one's better. Yeah, that one's better. Um, So what what is your idea to – with Logan's run, all these years, it's been in your gut. So what what do you think could have been better about the original Logan's run? Because I think it's important for people to know that this isn't just like, oh, they're going to let the video game guy make another remake. Like that this is a very passionate thing that you – probably watch this movie for years and be like, oh, yeah. if I were to do it. I, I haven't started writing it. I've just been mostly thinking about it. And But I think the key thing is that there, look, there's a bunch of challenges that are in the way of making that story accessible. I mean, one is that it's really hard to get on board with Logan because he's 
he likes to kill people and until it's his time to die. And then he's like, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah, and, right. And then the, the, and Jenny, I mean, uh, uh, Jessica is not particularly a strong or interesting character. She just sort of, she's very much a, a female sidekick of the period. And I think that would, you know, what's her deal? Like, what does she want and why does she interested in this guy he basically, basically he, kills her brother he and, basically just he finds her on that three-dimensional fuck stream yeah, yeah, right where yeah. he just tunes her in he's like let's do it yeah there's a show going on downstairs that's that bleed over the noise but um was it jenny aggutter jenny Agutter, yes. yeah yeah she was the uh, american wealth in london also yes of course yes oh, that, great. Uh, well yeah. the shower scene did not go through your head right now so <laughs> head. no of course, of course not, not. Uh, um there there are some things that you would that in terms of the characters, in terms of, you know, buying into them, buying into the world that are in the way that I think you have to sort of like figure out. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm in the process of that, but because there's this great nougat middle that's like got this sort of very tough shell on the outside. Right. And you want to get deal with that shell so you, people can get to the nougat middle because there is that great dystopian nougat new Is do, do you do you sort of feel like that there's that 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 the nougat middle is sort of kind of what's happened what happened at e3 what's happened in gaming is that there is this consciousness that's saying here this is good for you and people going no like that that's sort of the revolution <laughs> I, what do you, I'm, what do you well, mean I'm, actually, I'm, I'm drawing a, a comparison question. i'm drawing a comparison to the logan's run reality of the consciousness in the dystopian society and you know like there's basically this pleasure society that um that the government or whatever <laughs> the body is is just telling them what's good for them and then now but then at some point you know like they revolt well, I, I think, I mean, to some degree, you're, you're right that, like, you can't just tell people the, the society or the game or the hardware you're selling is great. Like, getting people to believe it is the hard part, buy into it. You know? Right. And, and that's, with, it, with any dystopian story, like, the reason, you know, I think Rapture worked was because we started the beginning of the game as with the guy telling you why it was awesome, with Ryan telling you, yeah. making the case for it. And I think that's the hard thing for any kind of dystopian society. It has to start like Brave New World is not really. It's just a. It's not really dystopic because it never was. Sorry, I'm nineteen eighty four. There's a, it, it's nothing. There's nothing appealing about it. But great. What I loved about when I when I first saw the trailer for Logan's Run when I was a kid, I remember it said like in the twenty third century, like you can have all the drugs and all the sex and all this great stuff. And it's awesome, but there's only one catch. And I remember like that was like a lightning bolt hitting my head that you could have this sort of dichotomy of this amazing world that is perfect except in this one little very profound way. And the problem is that that case you have to make, that was made really well in the trailer. It wasn't made as well in the in the movie. Like why are know? they killing the – why are they killing people in care? Why are they lighting them up in carousel? Yeah, yeah. You know, and it, it, you kind of walk away feeling a little – that scene I watched that movie. I watched it again last night. And you, you walk away saying like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure I'd be one of those people cheering in that crowd. And you kind of – Kind of have you have to be the audience has to be you have one to of think people. you have to think it's awesome yes yeah because your value you you have to take your audience on a journey and their value you have to shift their values throughout the movie yes. right yeah they have they have to buy into why somebody else would, would buy into this and I think that you know in 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 we spent a lot of time in like that's why Rapture is beautiful you know like because we had people understand like why would you want to live here and there's a lot of people cosplay like these games because i think there's a there's something very appealing about both columbia and rapture you know there, with columbia was this sort of notion of old-timey america and we're you know this little like the music man like we that, yeah. that was what i told the guys it's like it should feel like the music man this perfect turn of the century world that never really existed 
but who wouldn't want to kind of live in that world if that could exist? But then there's yeah. this very people? dark. Well, yeah, there's this. <laughs> but then the catch is it's it, there's this really dark underbelly right. that is, you know, which was true at the time. Like people remember this time in America where everybody was happy and everybody was perfect. And of course, it never fucking existed. Yeah. Um, there were things about it that were great and things about it that were, you know, Really not great. Really not so great. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I have some questions here. I have one quick question before. I know I know we got to rush, but I, I just have one really quick question. Sure. I want to know what you – I mean like the game industry right now, it's kind of being revolutionized. It's a bit of a clusterfuck because on one hand, we have all these indie games that are starting to like pick up. We've got like Minecraft was an indie game and Journey. And then on the other hand, we have like Call of Duty making billions of dollars and then we've got beautiful games like yours, which is starting to get more recognition. People are playing it. And and so, I mean, people rejected the idea of DRM, which would have sort of made gaming sort of more of an internal thing, I think. I mean, what where do you think this is going, you know, with movies and games? And I think people reject the notion of you haven't made – you haven't told me why it's good for me. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at Steam, for instance – I think that as a there's this term in in like somebody told me and I was you coming up when I was starting you know run the company and stuff you know value proposition like you know it's like any pitch like I'll give you this hamburger and fries and a shake for six dollars you're like great and then he says well for 150 dollars like well that's not a good value proposition mm-hmm. and the same way with Steam has a package of stuff they give you you know one is you know, one is DRM, for instance, and one is you can't resell your games. But it's also like, oh, by the way, you know how you hate when you get a new computer that you have to re- drag out <laughs> all your disks and do that? You know, you hate when you have to track down patches. You know, you, you hate, you know, not having easy ways to mod your games. Well, we're going to we're gonna take care of all that for you. Hey, you know you hate there are no good sales on games? We're going to take care of all that for you. And that's what it's about. I don't think it's about any particular thing. I think it's about... Am I making a good proposition to you? And the audience is always going to be the one who tells you whether it's a good proposition. You can never tell them. And they're, they're going to answer that question. And sometimes, you know, people like digital downloads, you know, for instance, right now, if you download a game on, um, you know, from PSN or something, it's there's DRM, there's you can't resell it. But the convenience for some people is a is worth is worthwhile um, and they feel comfortable with it. But if they're not comfortable with it, there's no amount of telling them they should be comfortable with this. So there has work. to be a compelling reason to make the compromise. Yeah. There has to be a value add to them that like anything like with Bioshock Infinite, I can, I can't beat somebody up. So they buy the game. I can't tell them. It's awesome. Like a lot of people, I remember somebody said to me when we were working on infinite, tell me why I should pre-order your game. And I said, I'm not going to do that because why should you believe me? You know, yeah. like at the end of the day, you'll pre-order it or you won't pre-order it if you think it's cool. And you know, it's really up to you. I'm the last guy you should listen to. You know, <laughs> I have a, I have a, not, even if I didn't care about money or anything like that, which of course I don't, um, I have a, it's my baby. So I have a vested interest in, in loving it. You know, yeah. I've worked on it forever. And the question is, is your baby going to be in the crib when you open the door? That's right. Well, <laughs> it is, maybe it will be and won't be. Oh, time, shit. Right? Um, well, take now, that, Hardwick. But Fuck. now we've burnt down this sort of I will take it or maybe ground. I won't take it. Oh, uh, <laughs> keeping it going. Yep, she's going with that. Sorry. Maybe she's, girl- maybe, she's your- <laughs> maybe she's your girlfriend and your daughter. Oh, oh God, I shouldn't play be- that. No, I shouldn't Go. be turned on right now. <laughs> oh, uh, I have a guilt everybody. boner. 
Um, I'm sorry. I'm Dr. Manhattan's penis again. <laughs> you have a blue gilt boner. A blue gilt boner. <laughs> oh my god, blue gilt boner's playing at Spaceland tonight. You guys want to go see him? Yeah, I love those guys. They're so good. Yeah. Um, um, but, but now that they've... Sorry, to go back from the go, boners. Go, 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 go. Uh, now that they've burned down this sort of model to the ground, do you think that games are going to be going more in the direction of multi-million dollar franchises? Or do you think they're going to be going more indie? I think that... Are we going to just be split right down the middle? Look, the great thing about digital distribution is it lowers the, the barriers to directly communicate with your audience and it allows ways to, like, like a, you got a game like Minecraft, it's an indie game that's sold, I don't know, 14 whatever million <laughs> ridiculous units. ridiculous that. Now, that's, it's a bit of an outlier, right? Because it, there's something so clever about it. It's, you know, somebody, a friend of mine described it as, oh, it's it's Lego for, you know, it's it's modern day Lego. It's yeah. digital Lego. And, Lego zombie game. Yeah, and it allows it allows expression and all those things that games, that, that it's a very beautiful and brilliant idea. And not every idea is that so most indie games aren't going to go anywhere near that it's sort of an outlier phenomena um but i think that as people get more and more comfortable with digital distribution the amount of people in the middle get reduced so greatly the the barrier of entry gets reduced so greatly that you can service much smaller audiences with much more niche stuff and you can make money off of that like you can you know you couldn't you know you couldn't there was no way to make like I got out of PC game development a few years ago, oh, I was out of strictly PC game development mm-hmm. because the kind of games I was making that were three, four, five million dollar development, like Tries Vengeance and SWAT and Freedom Force, there was just a market was disappearing because right. the cost to get that on the shelf was so expensive that people were going to say, "Well, why am I going to buy your three, four million dollar game when I can buy somebody spent twenty million dollars on a game or thirty million dollars?" But now, serving an you, there was no way to service a niche audience. Now you can totally service niche audience, and you can make a lot of money doing it. So I'm very optimistic about thing, about the future. I think quality. It's always it's just are you going to make something of quality? That's what it always comes down to. It doesn't matter if it's on an iPad or i or, or or an Xbox or a PC. Can you make something of quality that is going to appeal to an audience? And I think that's great. Not only just with gaming, but with anything, it always it's always that magic formula that uh, it's like, well, yeah, if you make a good story, it doesn't matter if it's a movie or a game or, yep. or, or a, a television show or, or a comic book or what, as long as long as it's a story that, you know, that's good. And but that's that's the uh, that's the magic molecule is like, but you can't like you can't just engineer that like you just have to like someone has to come along but, and make it but that's the nice thing about this sort of atomization that happens is you get instead of having three or i don't know i mean there probably be room for these huge giant blockbusters but you're seeing as the same thing happened in television like you know you work you do the show right the talking dead which is about uh it was just centered on a very successful television show now that television show was 25 years ago it would not be a successful television show what is right. it eight or nine million people watching which is huge yeah. huge numbers but if you weren't 20 million people like tw- when there's only three stations when you if you didn't have 20 million people watching your show but that's a great thing right because now you can have a show that's incredibly successful that caters to an audience of not of eight or nine million people that doesn't have to make any compromises for right. well my my great aunt in you know manitoba wants to watch it so we better have a, a lovable kid right you know so you don't have to do any of those compromises you don't have to have cousin oliver um <laughs> are, you, are you worried that we're gonna see a lot like a the quality do you think do you think the quality is gonna lower over time because no, no i think it will go up because you can make audio you can make 
quality things that you because of like like the Netflix they have a new you know a new model which is allows them to focus on you know somebody said recently that you know what used to be movies like real like adult movies are now not only porn I mean like movies for <laughs> right. young, are now TV you know like yeah. they're now The Walking Dead it's now Breaking Bad mm-hmm. it's now Mad Men and you know because the map market of big movies now you can only do huge blockbusters really there's only an economic for that but there's Netflix and there's TV, there's a million cable shows and there's direct distribution and there's all these other ways people are finding ways to, to and YouTube and all, all these other ways people are finding to make money. I think that's great. It used, when we were kids, there was three channels, you know, yeah. and that was it. And if you weren't, if you couldn't find something that appealed to that many people, you, that meant by definition, it was sort of a middling, uh, uh, what do you call it? A, uh, you know, all but, um, lowest common denominator approach. Yeah. Well, it's also it's and then people had to whereas now, you know, we as consumers are very spoiled because we have tasted what it feels like to get our very specific desires yeah. met and we don't have to anymore like when we were growing up it was like, well, if you want to watch TV, you better fucking figure out a way to like one of the things that's exactly. on because otherwise you're not going to or you know, you have to get pirated tapes from England if you want to watch, you know, like uh, you know, you want to watch Python or whatever yeah. if you can't catch it on PBS. So it's sort of like uh Now we're so used to the idea of like, oh, well, I want exactly what I want when I want it. And it better be delivered in the specific way that is suited to me or fuck everything. Right, right. And and that's what we've sort of come to, you know, that's what we've come to expect. Uh, I do. I want to get to some Reddit Reddit questions. questions. (laughs) I won't ask him. The the, the, the biggest Reddit question, of course, is is DLC. You know what? With the uh, with with buying the with buying the season pass and yeah, the DLC, yeah. and you know when's that happening, and what are your plans? And so, this was a really interesting conundrum we got ourselves into because so we very carefully listen to the audience about we be, do not like pass off something that you didn't put in the game as DLC you're selling us. So now what that meant is we had to wait to finish the game to start on anything, and we're very. This is one of those things I actually think the intensity of the audience feeling about this may actually be a negative because there's stuff that we cut from the game because it didn't work at all in the game, which which we could put in the DLC because we think it's actually – well, this has a role here, which now we're not going to. Are you? Can you say what because any of it – people will get mad, Yeah, there are, some, right? there are some character models and stuff that we thought were really cool that just didn't – What whether it turned out that our memory, we couldn't load that many models at one time or something like that, that we just didn't find a place in the game. And now I'm just – I'm not going to put them anywhere near the DLC because... Can I speak on behalf of gamers and say it's okay? Because I would love to see some of those character models. <laughs> We're going to try to find a way to get it out there for, for free so people can see right. it in some way. Okay. But it's kind of a shame because that basically means that now there's we, our, our toolbox for the DLC is lower. But I, t- I took that very, very seriously that people felt really strongly about it. And now I've got people on my Twitter feed saying like, where's the fucking DLC? And the truth is we started afterwards... And I get why people are impatient for for the DLC, but on sure. the other hand, I can't, we're kind of trapped between a rock and a hard place. And we're trying to do what's at the end of the day. I'll take that because I want to do what's best for the audience, and I want to make them right. happy. And if some people get pissed off, generally the audience is. But my the Twitter files are very much like, no, we get it, we get yeah. it, we get why you're doing it. And um, and we you know look, we're working since the game finished. Basically, we've been working nonstop on it, but these things take time, and we'll talk about it relatively soon. But I, you know, I'm not gonna. I don't like to just to pump out information that doesn't like I can't say, oh, hey, it's going to be if I I want to show people why it's cool. I want to be when we're ready to show people why it's cool. We're going to do that. And I think people are going to find it to be very, very cool. Um, But I'll I'll take the sort of negativity about it 
Have um, you given people a relative time frame? Like, ah, oh, it'll be six months or in 2014 or... I don't want... <laughs> you don't want to say. I don't want to do that okay. yet. yet. I, I'll just, I will say that we're, you know, we go to work and that's all we do. It's tough because if you do, if you do give people a time frame and when that rolls around, if you're ready, like, hey, but you yes. said the blah, blah, blah. Like, you have to be very... I understand. You have to be it, very careful you know, what you say. And, that, and that's what I'm saying. To some degree, I think... I think what the intensity people feel over things like like this DLC issue can can not necessarily be a good thing for them. Mm-hmm. But I am trying. By the end of the day, I am trying to respect what they want, and that's right. why we won't ship any of this content. It would just basically go away, right? Um, because there are things you do cut from a game, and like the notion that you cut things so to it's just not. It's there's just there's no way I can manufacture. That's just not how it works for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we do. It, it, the, the things that generally we would cut would be so far from being able to be used in any way. Like there are levels that we just sort of okay. When you said direction. that, I thought what you were saying was you were afraid to put in the DLC because people would be upset that they were paying for something that they'd already paid. There's nothing for. like a, a level, but there are character models, for instance, right. that we had in the game that we realized, oh, we can only load seven civilians at a time, mm-hmm. so we couldn't ever use this model. Or there was an enemy that and it just wasn't very okay. fun to play against, but his character model is really cool. Yeah. But we won't ship any of that because I don't want the reaction of people to be, how come you are making us pay for this? Oh, that's okay. So um, you were saying Yeah, that. I was yeah. saying that. I See, was it's such that. a bummer. I, I, you know, people just get so upset. And I think that that, that really should change. And I will go on record saying that. You guys don't have to, but I no, just no. think that people get so... It's not. It's look. It's for me as a gamer. Like there used to be this thing called expansion. We called expansion packs. Right. Yeah. Like this is not a new thing. DLC is not a new thing. But at the end of the day, look. I do. People. I respect that people open their wallets and pay for these things. So I want people to feel good about it. In the end of the day, I'm not necessarily sure it's in their best interest. That, as you said, because they won't. They won't get this content. Yeah. Because because I don't want to make them feel like they are paying tw- quote twice, twice for something. Yeah. But they're not. But but at the end of the day, I want to respect that. And and um, but I don't know if it's necessarily they don't. Nec- there are unintended consequences they may not necessarily. Well, this see. is a really good way to point out the consequences that yeah. come from that. So, um, this is from MTI Chris. This is an easy one. What do you like on your pizza? <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm a vegetarian, so that's like the most boring question to ask me. Yeah. Also, him? No. No. Well, ish. Not really. Sort some of. of some of these quit. Some of, no. I'm not. I'm I, I'm partially vegetarian because she is. Yeah, and there are there some great vegetarian yeah. restaurants to eat at. And I found that you know I was such a carnivore that I was like, oh, you know, if I don't really feel like eating meat, I won't eat it. And but sometimes I really do. So I eat it some of the time, and other uh, times, you my, know. My wife was she she was a vegetarian. And then she, um, you want me outing you on this one? <laughs> uh, and then she, and then she found out like she was getting really tired and stuff. So she started eating meat again sometimes. And I think for some people, like that's not, I like, I think some people thought it was like, like it doesn't bother me. Like if I wouldn't, I, that's fine. Like a lot of people no, think I mean, you have to be a boat bait. Yeah. You got to eat it. Sometimes. But, but for me, it's, I, I just, you know, so yeah. what do you eat on your pizza? Um, oh, I used to really, okay, before I was vegetarian, I used to really like ham and pineapple and peppers. You're a pot, you're a Hawaiian pizza. I, I like that. Yeah. And red onions. And then I, now I just get it without the ham. <laughs> you have, do you have any like artificial meat ever on your pizza? I haven't. No. We do this. We go to this Thai restaurant. That's really good. Oh. Uh, Mulan, um, shout out. This is uh, so. Th- this is uh, this is from Biscuit Hammer. This is a spoiler well, question. Well, you weren't. You weren't. You weren't. Oh, you didn't answer your pizza question. You weren't interested in our really deep conversation yeah, about artificial meats on pizza. Um, <laughs> yeah. The um, I, so I get um, I get well, 
on my birthday, here's the best pizza I have. My birthday, my wife makes me, she goes, buys this dough from this restaurant and she comes home and she makes me a pizza with, with um, onions and um, fake um, pepperoni and fake sausage. And it's like the Ooh. best thing ever, every Aww, year. Oh, that's really that. sweet. That sounds delicious. Um, <laughs> Biscuit Hammer has a couple questions that are pretty good. Are we ever going to get closure for Robert and Rosalind Lutess? Their existence at the end of the game is questionable, and I really like those two. And then this person asked if they were doing it. Yeah, if I was, they were gonna, totally I was doing just going to say, were they doing I it? I think they're the same person they, in different universes, right? Uh, the, yes, that's true. They are. I will say that because that, that, that's on the record. Um, in terms of whether they're doing it, that is not my call to make. So that's either so that's, that's really technically masturbation. Yeah. It's technically it's technically interdimensional masturbation. Ain't nothing wrong with that? No, you no. can fuck your opposite sex self through a yeah. window in in the universe. Um, Almost everybody I met said if they could meet themselves, they would have sex with themselves. And I'm like, have you seen me? Like I would have sex with. I'm a big hairy monster. <laughs> uh, so his other question was, um, have you considered making a game more on the line of Telltale, like The Walking Dead? Sometimes I feel like the Bioshock games were somewhat hampered by certain gaming elements, and it would be interesting to see you be able to cut loose from a, st- a, t- a storytelling perspective, which I think in the broader sense, a bunch of people were like, open world, yeah, why not Bioshock was- open world? Yeah. Well, uh, Walking Dead game is is really focused on the narrative, right? Like the game element of actually is very, um, the Telltale Walking Dead yeah. game, right, is actually very from a game perspective is actually fairly limited by design. And so they did, you know, and they did a great job. They they create these great characters and these great situations. I think for me, I'm, I'm a, I like, I'm a, I've, I've always liked gamey, like gaminess, you know, Mm -hmm. I've, I've always enjoyed game systems, you know, I'm, but when I play games, actually, generally what I play is to play like civilization, XCOM style games, more more systemic games rather than narrative games. So I, I think that, I would have trouble, like I'm not, I, like I had to work on an adventure style game once, a Star Trek game for a while that never never got made. And it was really hard for me to come up with like the moments in it because they were so. That's all there was to the game. It was like these sort of player um, designer design moments, like any adventure game, you know, you know, because you know, in, in any Sierra style game, you know exactly the points along. You can you can sort of plot the path along very clearly. There's no systemic growth or anything like that. So as much as I appreciate it, and as much as that would make my life easier as a writer, um, <laughs> I would miss working on a as a gamer. I like game systems, so probably probably not. I liked the. I mean, you know, just because I got stuck on Skyrim for so long, an open world game is dangerous for me because it's difficult for me to get off it. And so having having basically one direction, uh, the band. Yep, the band. Having one direction in my life has really helped me realize that I'm a 13 year old girl. <laughs> Um, but ha- having basically like one one really main quest to accomplish and get through just a linear story is is better for me and right. my personality because I would fucking play it for. I mean, I would I because like Columbia is just one of those places where you go. Oh, I want to fucking live here, and I would just run around oh. that place all the time. So, so the other question is like, what I think about an open world? Game. There, there were yeah. two. There were two okay. separate. There okay. was there was the Walking Dead is an open world. is an open world. Okay. But but I was saying in the it's like that that was the Walking Dead question, the gaming elements, and then I said in the broader sense, other people oh also want. It was actually two questions. Other people online wanted. I mean, other people on Reddit want to know like, why not an if open world? Rapture was open world. Oh, I, I think I think those are the the designs I admire the most. I think those are incredibly difficult. Like like we talked about Red Dead, like having those moments that are just entirely your own you know that yeah. that come out i really admire those um it is they're uh they're very difficult to do correctly and they're difficult to 
when even as open as Infinite was, I mean, I don't, I don't mean in terms of like it wasn't an open world game by a stretch, but the the fact that like we're you know not having cutscenes and like having trying to tell that narrative and as as vertically a vertical space and as open a space as it was was really really difficult. So I would love to do a game like that. I just think I would have to really think about how it would be done. Oh, please, please do it. This uh, <laughs> redditor Vitorius has a good a couple good questions. Um, Number one, did you really do the voice of the Circus of Values clown? Welcome to the Circus of Values. My wife hates that fucking voice. <laughs> I did. That's my that's my acting, that's my amazing values. acting. That's fantastic. Um, could you do it one more time, and we won't talk under you, and then could people rip it and do it and make it their ringtone? Well, it's already in the game, isn't it? Yeah, but you but you doing it means we get to control okay, you okay, like okay. a puppet. All right. <laughs> All right, I'll give you two lines. Ready? Okay. Welcome to the Circus of Values. Come back when you got some money, buddy. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. So great. Hey, I'm, I, my, actually, I'm in demand in L.A. for my acting. Well, it's so this funny. Is why it's I such an iconic sound in the game. Like, when I hopped into Infinite and I heard that voice, I was just like, oh, God, I'm you see, home. You see, I've grown as an actor. Now I've got a lot better. the vending machine in the new game, too. I've, yeah. really, I've really developed as an actor. <laughs> then you can sort of, then you could be some sort of a sentient apartment for in Logan's run. Hey, Logan. Hey, Logan. Hey, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to do it now. Warner, Warner, Warner Brothers just ripped up the agreement. Oh, uh, <laughs> you didn't say he was going to be a voice of this thing. Be a robot voice? No, fuck this. Um, and then Victoria's also want to know who would win in a debate, Comstock or Ryan? Ooh. Ooh, that's a good one. Well, that would be hard because that would be like, you know, well, I mean, one of them is an atheist. So, you know, that would be, that would be a tough one. I think they wouldn't really have, they wouldn't have a lot of common ground to even debate upon. I mean, I guess I would think the atheist would win in some That's way. That's what, that's what <laughs> my answer As too. an atheist, they, it, Comstock would have a hard time winning in that debate, in my, in my view. Yeah. Um, this is from Bloodnick. What lessons have you learned from Bioshock Infinite that you are going to take on to future projects with you? Um, you know, you think... I, I think I've learned well, – certainly we, we learned a lot about like telling story and narrative and things like that. I don't think I've like said, oh, my God, I'm never going to do that again, you know, anything any, anything from the game. I think that I don't necessarily like to re- repeat ourselves as much. I think that I'd be very – I don't know. I guess the answer is I don't know about that. I don't, I don't think I learned very much. <laughs> <laughs> I was like trying to answer, give you a smart answer. But I don't know. I, I don't think – I don't know if I took away – lessons are small things like hey like let's balance the weapon this kind of weapon should be balanced that way or that kind of weapon should be balanced that way but most things that happen in in that game in that period of time that weren't what we wanted to be was really a function of time and production you know production limitations and things like that like when i finished bioshock one i was definitely like wow the third i really shouldn't have killed off ryan when i did um, cause it left the last third of the game really with a, not a lot left to do, but I don't really have any big takeaways like that this time. There are things that people, you know, that I like more and like less, but nothing that I, like big solid takeaway. Are you okay? Are you good with completion in the sense of, can you walk away from it and go, that's, you know, that's done. We finished it. We're like when it, when it, when everything was done and it was delivered, are you, or did you feel 
that your soul was satisfied, like, this is it? Or were, are you still like, oh, I have to, I, if I could just die. No, no, are I, you a noodler? I, I could noodle on it forever. I don't, I think I know that it's probably not a good idea. Like, you know, it's, I think it, it's done. Like, I think that game is done. And I could noodle on it forever, but I don't think that's necessarily productive. It's hard because you, I, I'm sure that, you know, especially four and a half years of your life is a significant amount yeah. of time to spend on one thing. Yeah. I mean, that's, People could have numerous jobs and do numerous things in four and a half years that, you know, that I often wonder when you're working on something that long, how do you retain your enthusiasm for that thing at year three when you're like, we're three years in, we still got another year left. I mean, it's like, you know, hour eight of a 16 hour flight. But that's ne- that's never a problem because it's constantly evolving for me always. Like it's always like it's I'm always trying to make it better and the team's always trying to make it better and i'm always learning like the pinky stuff like you know i'll come home one day and like we'll have thought of that and all of a sudden like i'm so enthusiastic again because i feel like oh now i can now i've made progress towards telling this story i'm i don't get fatigue from that i think that it's not but i don't necessarily think i think that is a long time to spend on one thing and i don't think looking at the arc of your life it's probably you want to spend a little less time on something than more time do you think? Do you think there's going to be any any uh, any Easter eggs in Logan's Run from Bioshock yeah. or any of your favorite games or anything? Sort of like, well, not 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 <laughs> just not really not just Songbird, but you know, it's like it was like you know hearing Ellen McLean in Pac Rim, you know, like as the right, voice right, of right. like hearing Glados basically. I mean, when I when I, I showed you the trailer for Pac Rim, you were like, oh my god, like it totally. I, I think I cried a little, a little bit. bit yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's 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 Guillermo being very smart and realizing that <laughs> he knows his audience. Well, well, he's a fan, right? <laughs> yeah, he's a fan, and he knows yeah. his audience too. And 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 this, you know, that we there's way is like that's that's um what do you call it? that that is um fan service but in a way that's really smart but also genuine and true to it doesn't break it for somebody who doesn't they don't it's not anything less for somebody who doesn't right. know who she is and you also don't you know, i don't get the sense that he's like these kids will recognize this is like that's obviously a thing he loves oh, and he, he wanted to pay real deal, homage to it a hundred percent he's did the you, real deal did you find a question that you want to ask oh it's we... a dumb question i feel like this might be well Okay, somebody says here, what do you think of people getting tattoos? The Dancing Dynamo. He says, what do you think of people getting tattoos of or related to your work? Do you find it flattering or entirely too much? And I think it's really funny because I see people, they get the, they get the tattoos of the, yeah. the chains. Yeah. Like, do you guys, why, what? why are you getting those? I, I, I think that, you know, I don't think there's anything more flattering than somebody permanently altering their body related <laughs> to what you do. I think that... Um, I think people find meaning in, in symbols that sometimes you never even intended. Like the chains came out of Rob Waters, one of our artists, um, just had that idea, that concept. It would, that didn't come out of, it wasn't something I said, oh, he should have chains on his hand. So I don't even know if Rob, I just thought he thought it was, a, I'm not sure. I'd have to ask Rob, but I thought Keith just thought it was a cool visual. Um, and when, when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's great. You know, let's, let's do it. Cause it was, and then people started putting it on their hands and, I bet if you ask ten people what that meant to them, it'll probably get ten different, different answers. Things, yeah, um, because like probably you know what you're saying, I think is very valid. Is like, well, they imply that this guy was a slave. Yeah, I think probably, but also he, you know, he he broke free, you know, to some degree from that slavery. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's what maybe that's I can't say because I didn't get a tattooed in my hand. I don't have any tattoos, but I'm guessing there's more for the story of his life rather than yes. just what and, it actually means. Because I think a lot of people probably feel look. 
you know, you go to some job and you're not thrilled with it. You got some boss, you know, some people probably feel a little right. bit like, you know, somebody else is, is pulling the strings on them and it's maybe their way of saying, well, maybe that's not how I feel about it. You know? Right. Here's a good question from a uh, Peruka. Um, seeing as how the actors have a direct impact on characters, how did working with Troy and Courtney change, uh, the story of infinite? Um, so in a couple ways, one is when you have a strong actor, you, there's, they make their strengths apparent to you and then you write to those strengths. Um, if, if fighting against an actor's strengths is not a, a great idea. Um, so they both came in very strong as to the, what the characters I wanted, but they would often, there'd be a line which I would write and that come in and I have it. Um, and I would think like, Oh, this is a great line or this is that. And it comes in and when the actor reads it, it's just not the lines, just not the right line for them. Um, and quite often they would say, well, what if I said this? And they would you know, recraft the line and something that was more attuned to their voice. And almost every time it was exactly the right thing. They had excellent instincts. Um, they really understood the characters. They really understood what they meant in the larger story. And frankly, they had to put a lot of trust in me because that story was evolving all the time. And um, and there were um, you know things that would change in it that were substantial and they would just roll with the punches. Um, and um, so I think that if you have good actors, you know, you have to put a lot of trust in them. And that was a, I, I believe that was probably one of the most trusting creative experience I've ever been in working with those guys. So this is just two more questions. Um, accidentist. I, I, this is almost an, un- <laughs> not dentist, accidentus. Oh, like it's accidentist. Yeah. Oops. Somebody I wouldn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> That was the guy in the Midwest who gave all those people hepatitis by reusing. I, I had a dentist whose name was his actual name was Doctor Payne. I, really? I kid you not. I have a gynecologist whose name is Doctor Uzi. <laughs> I knew I, I knew a girl whose I knew a girl whose gynecologist was Doctor Cherry. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, and then uh, what is the name? Oh my God! Whoa, Dr. shit! Uzi. I gotta I gotta look him up. Is it how's it spelled? U Z Z I. He's Israeli. <laughs> Doc- <laughs> Wait a minute. What is his? Oh, yeah. Uh, and then my uh, man doctor for this uh, region down here, Dr. Dickey. <laughs> oh, no, wait. That's my eye doctor. Dr. Dickey's my eye oh, doctor. Oh, you don't want to get those what's two a, mixed what's up. A, what's a man doctor? You know, for the for the wiener. You have a special penis doctor? Well, the urologist. Okay. Oh, his name's... Oh. We call him the cockter, right? Okay. Right? Up top? Well played. Cockter who? Cockter. Um, he, uh, uh, yeah, Dr. Dickey is for the eyes. Dr. Bender, the oh. urologist. I'm not, I'm sure, I'm not as, I'm as not excited about having a, a urologist named Dr. Bender as he is probably not as excited as having a patient whose last name is Hardwick. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so this, this is an unanswerable question, by the way, but I think that's the soul of it might be something that been inspired. Why do most stories in video games suck? Is it lack of money, time, publishers ruining the game, a combination of all three? What's the biggest hurdle when, when, when creating a story in a video game? I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. Okay. So when I was working on that Star Trek game I mentioned before, this is my first thing writing I ever did in the industry before. And um, I wrote the, you know what, you know the cold opener is? On a, on a yeah. TV show. So I was trying to write a cold opener for the game, you know, which on Star Trek it's encounter something and there's a big moment of tension that they cut to da, 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 da. Yeah, Exactly. So the cold opener I wrote was very standard. It was, it was Star Trek Voyager and Janeway. There's like, they encountered a ship and the ship, opens fire them and the last one I remember writing was Janeway's eyes widen as the plasma torpedo approaches the Enterprise or whatever ship Voyager and 
the guy who was on, ended up being one of the co-founders for Rational, who was the lead programmer on the game, said, Ken, you see Janeway? And she was like a 64 by 64 pixel <laughs> Sierra Adventure Camera. Those eyes are not going to fucking widen. They're not going to reflect anything. And I, and I realized, oh my God, I'm writing. I'm not writing to the media here. I'm writing. I think I'm writing a movie still. I've got to figure out how to write for this media. And I think that's um, you. either you have people. I think that's the biggest problem. Is either you have writers who come in from who aren't in the studio and they get hired as a contractor and they haven't written for games and um, or you have game writers who don't who haven't immersed themselves in storytelling outside of, you know, the matrix and the, which, and actually the matrix is brilliant storytelling, but they've only seen like a few things. They've only seen a few science fiction things. They haven't exposed themselves to, you know, a broader range of storytelling. So like I steal liberally from, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson and, and Kubrick and all these other people, because I'm a huge movie fan and I'm a huge, you know, you know, uh, and so I'll steal from all these. I'm also love science fiction. I love uh, fans, but, uh, but I, I steal from a broader range of places. Like I said, the film noir and, and thief, for instance. Um, and so their, their, their reference points are smaller. And it's also just really hard to write for games because you're not, when you write a screenplay, you can sit down and basically write whatever you want to write. And then they will look at it and figure out, can, can we do this on a budget or not? And they'll say, well, can you re- go rewrite the scene without that? But games are, every time you try to change something or write something, it's like, okay, if I want another character in the screen, we can't just hire an extra. It's like somebody's got to go model that character and you only have 25 models or whatever in the entire game. And you really have to write to the metal, as they say. You know, like um, you have to write specifically to the assets you have, the resources you have, um, to the animations you have, to the environments you have. And that, that's a that's a really acquired skill, and it takes a long time to learn that. For me, remember, I'm the president of the company, so I can put a I can put a kind of premium and importance on the narrative that, say, I know I have a good friend who's a writer who isn't the president of the company, and he has to constantly fight for the narrative in a way that I don't have to, right? Because I can say, well, this really matters, and and we're going to do it. Um, you know, we're going to spend the money on it. We're going to spend the resources on it, but there's only so many resources and money you have. So that means something else is going to, you know, is going to give yeah. way. Time, money, quality. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And you get two. Yeah. Exactly. And and so you know, so I think it's I think it's a really I think game narrative is very 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 tough. And there's you know there's a few other reasons. I'm sure there's probably others that I'm thinking. Of. Why is it when I run up to people in Colombia they won't look at me? Yeah, I mean that's you know like. You also have that basic problem, like when you have game characters aren't like you. I talked about this for Elizabeth. Like when you hire an actor to use a scene, they just bring a certain amount of software with them. Yeah. You know, like Elizabeth didn't have any of that software, so the work we did to make her feel natural, and I think she, had, the guys, did a great job. And she ended up feeling very, very natural. Every we had to think about every <laughs> single moment, everything the player might do, mm. and she had no soft. We had a she had no natural software, you know, she didn't do anything just by default. We had to create all of that. And so with film, you can hire a good actor and we have the voices. We can do that with the voices and for the actress to bring that to the voices, but the performance really all had to come out of a million things intersecting and working properly together. We didn't get any benefit of a natural human in the room. Yeah. One final question. Uh, this is from Alpha Nexus. Who would win a no holds barred beard match? Your beard or pre twenty thirteen Tim Schaefer's beard? <laughs> Since Schaefer, I'll fight. My beard will fucking fight your beard. 
you name the place, you name the time, and I will be there. Oh my god! Uh, well, it's past beard, right? I think uh, is, is he not have a beard anymore? Past pre 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 twenty thirteen, yeah. He pussied out. He. <laughs> I think uh, Manhattan's dick just got a little uh, harder than it was before at this beard talk. You grow another beard, Schaefer, and I'll see you Sweetie, next year. Beard? What? What? What are you talking about? He's, no, he's not gay. He's totally not gay. <laughs> Listen, I, 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 you know, if I were, I'd be in better shape and dress better. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for being here, Ken Levine. And this was a—it's been really nice to get to know you a little bit. And we had that phone conversation. I'm like, I want to fucking hang out with this guy. So thank you for spending time. And I hope that we get to hang out offline. You know, whenever you have time, or, or you know, when I'm on the East Coast, we can hang out. Yeah, online too. You know. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> again, what's your gamer tag? <laughs> what's your gamer tag? The one question that'll send any game developer into like, what? What? I, I, do you have a public one? Uh, Major Nelson asked me that several years ago, and I answered him, and that was the stupidest thing I ever did. <laughs> Especially because like an Xbox Live, like, because I, I, I'm trying to be nice, and like when I would reject people's gamer tag requests, I'd have to like write them a long note. And I'm writing like, all these long notes with that fucking, you know, I'm sorry that I already have the full, and I'm sorry that you yeah. can't. Uh, don't be hurt. Your feelings hurt. <laughs> that was not a good time in my life. You're a people pleaser. Uh, Ken, thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys. And congratulations nice. on everything, and and, uh, and I can't wait to, uh, to to see Logan's run, which is probably still several years away, but I'm excited about it. Uh, and thanks to our gaming for submitting a bunch of questions, and thanks for Matt and Jonah for not being here. So Chloe, you could sit in because you know more about Bioshock than they do, oh, yeah. uh, quite frankly. Thanks. Um, thanks, everyone. Enjoy your burrito. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito.